welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi guys, I'm Jim. Uh, I'm the Leicester City and this week England representative for the EPL Roundtable. You can find me on Twitter at JimKnight88. Hi, I'm Dan, Arsenal fan and uh, US representative this week. For And I write for EPLindex.com and you can get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. Hi, I'm uh, Steve McGookin. Uh, I'm a former chairman of the New York Spurs Supporters Club. You can join the conversation at nyspurs.com or follow me on Twitter at Steve McGookin. And uh, I'm in Belfast and I'm going to be talking about uh, Northern Ireland and the international break and our uh, run up to the Euros and uh, and about Tottenham and the remaining run in for the Premiership title. I am your host Kevin DeVries, going to be talking about Tottenham, which basically means talking about England uh, and then you know Netherlands. <laughs> but uh, we'll start off with you, Jim. As a Leicester fan, Jamie Vardy scoring for England must have been quite an experience. Yeah. Um... We didn't obviously. We knew he wasn't going to start the game. Um, that had come out earlier on in the week that it was more likely that he was going to start against uh, the Netherlands on Tuesday, which was fine. Um, it's got a lot of people in the Leicester sphere talking about Tottenham conspiracies now because all the <laughs> Tottenham players got a game um, for England against um, against Germany, and then he was going to play the two Leicester players in the later game, uh, which somehow made Roy Hodgson like public enemy number one in these Midlands. Um, because of the, the the difference between playing the two games and the preparation time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But yeah, Vardy came on, uh, made an instant impact, scored a, a beautiful kind of deft flick with the inside of his boot from a, a good cross from Nathaniel Klein to get it back to two-two. Um, he's the first English goal scorer, uh, Leicester City player, um, to score for England in thirty years, I think, since Gary Lineker. So you know we don't we don't often see uh, Leicester City players score for England. Um, so it's still somewhat of a novelty and uh, yeah, it kind of proved the catalyst to, to quite a turnaround really. Yeah, there's been a lot of stuff coming out since this match, half of journalists seemingly coming out and saying that this is significant, This is, it was against a, and it was against a very strong German team, the other half coming out saying calm down, we always do this before the Euros, it was just a friendly, what side of that fence are you kind of falling on at the moment? I kind of sway more towards the exciting side, mostly because I think the fact that we named quite a youthful um, rotated team. Hodgson didn't play it safe and play... um, Obviously, he can't play Wayne Rooney because he's injured, but he didn't play like James Milner, for example. Um, He went out and started Eric Dyer. He started Deli Alley. Harry Kane looked good, kind of leading the line on his own, and then obviously had that extra impetus when when Jamie Vardy came on. Um, I was genuinely, you know... I think it's neither one or the other. It's probably a bit of both. The English media do blow everything out of proportion when it comes to the national team. Uh, one good game for for the national side in a in a ultimately meaningless friendly, and you're kind of the next uh, the next big thing. I saw one journalist um, kind of cornered Roy Hodgson in his press conference and asked him if Delhi Ali reminded him of Brian Robson at any point. <laughs> to which point, kind of Hodgson had to kind of say, well, you know. In the sense, you know, I guess he's kind of a midfielder. He's got two legs and a face. And yeah, they are both English. English. Uh, and he's English. Um, which then everyone took and ran with, Roy Hodgson thinks Deli Alley's the next Brian Robson. Um, and it's kind of like, yes, that's the question you asked him. He didn't come out and say it. He didn't volunteer that point. You kind of 
backed him into a corner to the point where he had to say something. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it does happen a lot with the English press. They do like to go overboard and, you know, the back pages of today's papers will will um, will be a testament to that. But it was an exciting performance. I think, you know, it, it's it's probably the most exciting time to be an England fan in, in kind of a decade because there is that fresh vitality about the team. Um, you've got the likes of Dyer, Barkley, um, Ali. Vardy is a new name, but in terms of you kind of building a legacy and a team for the next kind of decade looking forward, um, you know, if, if they develop in the way that we hope they will, um, not even kind of unrealistic expectations, then you've got to, you've got to say we're going to you know, have an, an exciting side to watch, if nothing else. Yeah, it definitely looks like uh, they are building towards the future. In that regard, Gary Neville looked like he was the one being groomed. Now at Valencia, assuming that Roy doesn't stay much beyond these Euros, who do you think's up next? It's difficult, that one, actually, because uh, Gary Neville has said openly the struggles with Valencia mean that he, he doesn't see management as part of his kind of immediate career. Now, whether or not he means simply club management and whether he'd consider a you know a, an international job, um, it's it's difficult because he's he's done himself no favors by going to Valencia in terms of his prospects for getting the England job. Um, I think he's in a much worse position now than he was when he was just being a really good pundit and being part of the England setup. That said, obviously the experience will give him a leg up over every other candidate when it comes to the decision time. So I'm sure he'd be on a shortlist. Um, there isn't for me like a standout person kind of next in line um, mostly because a lot of the managers that we see now that are doing well that are English are actually kind of quite young in managerial terms anyway um, there isn't kind of a candidate in their you know late 50s early 60s necessarily that is going to necessarily be keen to give up the the kind of hustle and bustle of a club management job um, you know people have talked about Alan Pardew people are already talking about Eddie Howe um, you know, there are plenty of people being linked with the England job as soon as you have a good... It's kind of like the players, really. If you have, if your team have a good run and you're an English <laughs> manager, then you immediately get linked with the England job. Um, are you saying it, Harry Redknapp's experience at Derby County will not propel him to being the next England well, manager? He's already the Jordanian manager. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's already the Jordanian <laughs> manager and the director of football at Derby County. So, you know, he's obviously got his, his plate full at the moment. Um, well, anyone and- thought that was a good idea, I will never know, but... <laughs> Especially considering he hates directors of football. Yeah, yeah, he does. And now he's won himself, so it's funny what money can do. Um, I assume they're still paying him in in briefcases full of cash because he doesn't know how to use a bank account. Send a text I car or dog food. Yeah, and, and his dog is the most well paid person on the south coast of England. Um, but yeah, there isn't there isn't kind of a natural successor, which is why I think that if we did, the the idea is that the England hierarchy will kind of assess the position after the Euros, which is a good a good way to look at it because I think sometimes you see coaches declare that they're going to leave the role before the tournament, which is never normally a good thing. Um, and then you also don't want to necessarily give coaches huge long contracts going into major tournaments because if you do that, I think there's a certain amount of comfort with the role knowing that you've got another two or four years, um, no matter what happens. So I think it's a good approach for once by the FA to kind of take a bit more of a proactive stance to it and say, okay, let's see how we get on um, in, in the European Championships in France and then we'll assess the, the credentials from there. Um, my gut feeling is that he's he's going to have at least another two years if he wants if he wants to be in charge mm. for the World Cup qualifiers and beyond. Um, and then hopefully there'll be a kind of a more suitable candidate forthcoming um, to the point where they can they can kind of really pinpoint a successor. 
Yeah, to that complacency point, uh, the U.S. obviously struggled in their loss to Guatemala. Do you think that maybe that's what's happening with Klinsman? Um, there are a lot of things happening in Klinsman right now. <laughs> uh, I will say, while it may or may not be time for Klinsman to go, I think he's. I think people are really overestimating the talent in the player pool right now because it's really not very oh, good. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. But it's ridiculous. Completely ridiculous, but um, yeah. So, U.S. Guatemala they lost two two nil to a team they had not lost to since 1988. Uh, they conceded what is probably the worst goal in football history, at least in the This is a legitimate stage. question. This is Which genuinely one? a question. Oh really? <laughs> I'm, talk- I'm talking about the a second, one where Howard should have saved point. it. Yeah. The second, well, and how it went straight past four players who tried to head the ball from a goal kick. Vote or the and then uh, what was it? They kicked the ball from a goal kick. Carlos Ruiz, just after three U.S. players missed it, ran through, and then took a not very powerful shot from twelve, fifteen yards, and it went straight through Tim Howard's leg legs. It was just yeah, Tim Howard basically made he really just shouldn't be a keeper at this point, and um, at least not at the international level because I mean he hasn't played. I don't remember when Everton actually dropped him, but it's been a while since he played. And even when he does play, he's not very good. So, yeah. Doesn't it kind of feel like he used up all of his remaining ability in that Belgium match? Yeah. Like, ever since he's been poor. I don't know if it's controversial or not, but I still think that game is slightly overrated. Mm, Yeah, they they hit a lot of shots at him, to be fair. Yeah, I I think he made a lot of saves, but I don't think any of them were outstanding. Like, there were a couple good ones, but no one, like, how did he save that? Like, you get from David De Gea every week, but, um... That's another point. Um, yeah, so that would put the U.S. 2-0 down inside 15 minutes to Guatemala, which is always fun. Um, then, what was it? The U.S. were just poor the entire first half. Then, halftime, Quinsman brought Darlington Nagby, who is who has a fantastic name, <laughs> on for Mixed Discaroo. And I don't know, I've never seen Nagby play, but I've heard he's quite good. Um, he came on, and they created some decent chances. And then, at around the 60th minute... Klinsman brought on Altidore for for a center back, and everything got weird. <laughs> um, and it just didn't work. They were just... They were awful. Um, yeah, so the U.S. lost to Guatemala for the first time in uh, 1988, 2016. What is math? 28 years, 27 years, something like that. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's really not good for the U.S. Klinsman is getting a lot of hate from a lot of people. Um, like Kevin mentioned, complacency, maybe. He's got a hell of a lot of power in that uh, U.S. setup. He has, I think he got a four-year deal after the World Cup, and then he also has some kind of higher-up uh, management role, which I'm blanking on right now. Yeah, and but in that deal, he has the ability to manage the youth setup and yeah, yeah, control yeah. their jobs and who gets hired and who can... T- yeah, didn't he it's, hire, uh, oh man, the coach, was it Akron? There was some random Ohio collegiate school that was like insanely good and was winning titles, and they poached him to be like the U twenty one coach. But yeah, it's it doesn't seem to be going well. And and I think one of the biggest issues with the Klinsman era isn't the football because, like you said, there already is a lack of talent. A big problem is that he's losing half of the fan base from the off by having us bring in these half German imports. And then you have like people like Abby Wambach saying that that's not how we should be approaching it and. Like, in a weird, almost xenophobic, if they don't sound like us, they're not one of us yeah. stance. 
I don't know. It, it I, I, don't, I, I, don't I know obviously love Klinsman, like from the Tottenham oh, stuff yeah, and, and from the, his early success at the U.S. My concern is that he needs to be coaching a better team. Like, yeah. th- this is not the manager that you have when you're trying to figure out what's happening with the next generation. This is the manager that you have when you have those players already. And I think it's starting to become detrimental to both. Yeah, it's it's really not worked out. I remember, I remember when he came in, he was going to try and play this great, I mean, good football. And I think he figured out once he got a year or two of the pool, he's like, yeah, these guys aren't very good, are they? Um, yeah, no, we got to counterattack and just sit back. And it really hasn't changed. And I I don't mind the uh, whole bringing over the German players thing because they're better than the American players, quite frankly. Um and they do have yeah. American names like John Anthony Brooks. Yeah, yeah, and like Jermaine Jones. <laughs> yep. That, oh uh, man, he went insane. That's a whole. That's a, that could be its whole, a whole own podcast. Thing, but... <laughs> Fabian Johnson also, who's been playing on the wing more, yeah, always he's seems to get on the, the best score player. Yeah, like genuinely, he's probably the best, the most talented player in the U.S. pool at the moment. Considering Bradley's level has gone down ever since he went back to MLS, <laughs> and ever since his dad old. left, which is the weirdest yeah. thing. <laughs> Uh, okay, so it's, so it's, where does the U.S. go from here? Is it new manager, or do we really really just have to build up from the bottom? Because, like you said, like the talent isn't isn't there. Like this there. this current talent pool with Dempsey and Donovan out of the way, and well, I said out of the way like it's a good thing. It is not. Um, and with Tim Howard not no longer being at his level, Brad Guzan obviously He's struggling. Crap. Like it doesn't feel like there are replacements for those guys. Yeah, um, uh, it might be new coach, but it's definitely like figure out what is going on because it's not they're not in a good place right now. They don't have the talent, and they don't have a manager that seems to be well liked by the fans. And I'm not sure if he's liked by the players, considering and just because like he keeps playing players in ridiculous positions, and that can't make him happy. And it's it's really a mess right now. Yeah, and Jim, you were saying you aren't sure there's a clear-cut next choice for England's managerial staff. <laughs> if you were looking for American-based coaches to replace Klinsman, uh, much Your more dire situation. Burning. Yeah, I like, could look that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, that'll be that'll be fun. All right, so Steve, since we last spoke, the draw is out. There have been some injuries to the Northern Ireland side. Uh, you get a draw. In your most recent friendly, what's your attitude heading into the Euros right now? Still very upbeat, Kevin, I have to say. I mean, we've, we've basically nothing to lose. We have a fantastic team spirit. Um, the, the, you mentioned the injury. Uh, the Chris Brunt injury is absolutely gutting. Uh, the poor guy. I mean, it's clearly going to be his last major tournament. Uh, tore his ACL. He's going to miss it. Um, so, you know, I feel the entire squad basically feels for him. Uh, but, you know, we're still... Still very upbeat. We're uh, we played a, a friendly against Wales the other night. We've got Slovenia coming up. Um, the Wales game was a very good one because, in a way, people say you should always play against teams that are better than you because it gives you a chance to test yourself. But really, in a way, what what we're what the Northern Ireland squad are trying to do at the moment is sort of focus everything on the first game against Poland. And I think um, playing against Wales and Slovenia gives us a very good test in terms of what we might face in those in those games. Uh, obviously, the Wales team, uh, who also their their um, improvement in the run up to the tournament is going to be terrific. Uh, they had a lot of their senior players missing, so it was a good test for them as well. 
we went ahead. Craig Cathcart scored a nice goal, sort of um, 15 minutes towards from the end, and then we we blew it in the last couple of minutes. So uh, there was there was a lot of things we could learn from it, but uh, but generally speaking. We uh, continued this unbeaten run that we've got going on at the moment, which could actually, we could break the record for unbeaten games on Monday night if we beat Slovenia or draw against Slovenia. Um, so generally speaking, I think there's, uh, there's a lot of positives to be taken from it. All right, and if you were to, to find success like that in the European Championships themselves, uh, what, what would you be doing to get that? Would you be mostly setting up to defend and counter, or do you kind of play more of an enterprising brand of football? Yeah, I think it's pretty much one of the key things also is Kyle Lafferty, who was our leading scorer in the qualifying uh, uh, stages, has just gone on loan from Norwich to Birmingham. So hopefully he'll get a little bit more game time. And it was kind of obvious on against Wales that he was um, he was a little bit rusty. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't have a lot of game time under his belt recently. So I think there's there's a uh, there's an imperative on the team to make sure that they're sort of playing regularly in uh, in the remainder of the season for their for their club teams, and I, I don't know what had happened with uh, with Kyle at, at Norwich. He had maybe some kind of personality conflict with uh, with Alex Neil, but he was he wasn't even getting on the bench, and Neil wouldn't trade him, and it was it was not a good situation. So hopefully now he's got this deal with Birmingham, he might get some game time there. So it's important for him to uh, to play every day. The the way we played against Wales was kind of interesting because he played three at the back. He played um, uh, Johnny Evans, Gareth McCauley, and Craig Cathcart, all of whom play regularly in the Premiership and all are very, very experienced, but they're all getting on a bit. So, uh, you know, it's it's kind of important. That's where we'd miss somebody like Brunt, who who brings us a, a kind of solidity to that, to that back four. I mean, we talked about how England have a lot of good youth players. Uh, the U.S., maybe they're there. We just don't know it yet. What's that situation like for Northern Ireland? Are there players that we should keep an eye on going forward? There actually are. We, we uh, guy got his debut the other night. Connor Washington just played a, a first game for us. There's also players like Liam Boyce, uh, younger players like Ollie Norwood, uh, you know, who are, who are coming through, who it benefits them from playing alongside the more experienced players like the Steve Davises and, and, the, and the Chris Brunts. So I think, I think we've got a good blend. I mean, we, the amazing thing is we, we won the qualifying group, as you know, and that kind of surprised us all, but it, it kind of made us feel that there's, no, there's nowhere we can't go, if you know what I mean. There's no, uh, no barrier too high. And we're just going to go and enjoy it and have fun and and, uh, and cheer for the lads. All right, uh, and on to a team that won't actually be in the Euros. Uh, Netherlands, it was a very tough week uh, with the passing of Johan Cruyff. Then the France matchup, which is obviously usually a big one. Also the moment of silence for the attacks in Belgium. It was just a very emotionally heavy uh, match and week on the whole. Uh, fortunately, the football did prove to be pretty entertaining. Uh, France jumped out to a, a very early lead and were definitely the better side. Uh, Giroud scored, which, you know, hurts twice. <laughs> um, but, we saw that Giroud touch yeah. on the sideline. That was just fantastic. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> but, uh, for, like I said, they, they were playing much better. Uh, but Dutch really started getting back into it strangely when Wesley Snyder went off. And it almost felt to me like it was the moment that the torch started getting passed down because Bazalor came on, who's been terrific uh, for Ajax. 
And then Davy Clawson kind of stepped forward in the formation, and he was getting a lot of shots off and looked very good himself. Um, and I've, I've heard a few people this week saying, because of the Cruyff stuff and everything, that it's a really big shame that the Netherlands won't be at this year's Euros. But I feel like those people are, are forgetting what this Dutch side looked like in qualifying, which was incredibly average, too poor at times. And if Netherlands had snuck in in the last match, it could have been possible if we beaten the Czech Republic by X amount of goals and Iceland had beaten Turkey by X amount of goals. That would have left out Turkey, who were much more deserving. Their play was a lot more exciting, much more ruthless. And they backed it up by picking up four points against the Netherlands, which is who they were competing with for that last spot. So I'm, I'm disappointed that the Netherlands won't be in it. But to say it's a shame or that the Netherlands were somehow hard done by, I think it's kind of prisoner of the moment based on all these emotions we're feeling, not really looking at what was happening at the time uh, with the football itself. We've been talking about managers. I'm not sure Danny Blind has that job locked down for the future. It, Like I said, the football in this one was much better than it was throughout qualifying. But I think he may have already dug his grave a little too deep. Uh, <laughs> there have been some talks that maybe Louis van Gaal takes the Dutch job back when he leaves Manchester United. I'm not really sure he'd take a backward step like that. I do think that that would help. But van Gaal's strength comes in being able to corral big egos. Which the Dutch team has plenty of, but with some of the younger players, he he gave a lot of those players their chance, so maybe they would buy back in. Um, only hmm. time would tell if that would happen. I think the most important thing is some people are saying we'll just promote Van Nistelrooy already because that was supposed to be the long term plan. Uh, but I, I don't think he he has the experience yet to take that job. Uh, as yeah. of yet, maybe Klinsman. That would be insane having a German <laughs> adding the Dutch team. Uh, but I was just saying you need the players there already. We are seeing this talent gap that I've talked about many times, um, but it's starting to look better. Like the, the the young players are getting their minutes. A lot of them did stay in the Netherlands. I mentioned the Ajax duo of Bazor and Klaassen, who both looked very, very strong. Getting to see Jetro Willems fit again. He's been struggling with that a bit. It was really nice seeing him kind of marauding there on the left. The center backs, this is what I've been saying, is the attack is where the downside is. At forward, you're, you're deciding between two De Jong brothers, who I think are incredibly average, aging Van Persie and Huntelaar. Lenz, I think you, you could play as a forward, but he's in and out week to week at Sunderland, which hasn't been an ideal move for him. It's, it's just really not ideal for the Dutch up front. But the strength, weirdly, is in the defense. Having players like Van Dijk, Stefan de Vrij, who is hurt right now, Jairo Riedewald, there's a lot of players back there that can do the business, and so that'll be interesting. I'm still not a big believer in Sillison. I like Zoet more myself, uh, but it's another one of the situations where you have a lot of them, so some of it'll work. Vorm just got called up uh, to the squad uh, today, so uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling much more optimistic going forward. I'm not sure if we're going to see all of the success by the next World Cup. I do think the Dutch make the next World Cup. I don't know, maybe make it past the first couple rounds, maybe, maybe just make it out of the group stage, uh, but I think the next Euros is when we'll really start to get to see all of these young players hitting their prime, starting to become stars at their clubs instead of kind of either being squad players at big clubs or big players at smaller clubs, like maybe Depay will be able to put two and two together 
uh, at some point soon, which he obviously hasn't for Manchester United. And, and, and Depay's case has just been made infinitesimally worse by Marcus Rashford doing everything he was supposed to do, coming from nowhere. Martial has been playing on the left wing at times this season, which is where Depay was supposed to slot in. That's gone very poorly. And Depay went to United for Van Gaal because they had a personal relationship and because Van Gaal brought him through the Dutch setup. So that's all That's all a mess. But there are tons of other players. Quincy Promes continues to look really threatening. It's, it's really exciting looking at all of these young players, but people do need to realize that they're all exciting players. These are all names that you need to start getting familiarized with. But very few of them are ready now. Uh, but it will, like I said, it will look better by the next World Cup. And I think the 2020 Euros is where the Dutch will really start to shine again. It's very interesting to hear you say that the, there's a wealth of talent in the playing staff, but not a lot of confidence in the managerial mm. ability. Yeah. I mean, this is obviously missing out on a tourna- major tournament. Should be the start of the rehabilitation or the rebuilding process. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess the way in which the Dutch FA works, uh, in a sense, it, it kind of precludes anybody upsetting that um, uh, that inheritance, as it were. I mean, I, I can't see how they don't consider somebody like Ronald Koeman as, yeah. as manager because, you know, he's done a fantastic job at Southampton. Uh, plus, he has the experience with with lots of you know top class club teams. What what's the what's the situation there? Uh, it sounds like the Dutch would be very interested, but Coleman, uh, much like Pochettino, to our benefit, seem mm. to not want to take international jobs right now. Right, they're both trying to kind of build their clout. If you ask me right now, will Coleman eventually be the Dutch manager? Absolutely. Mm. I think an interesting one would be De Boer, who looks like he's on his way out of Ajax. But mm-hmm. that's another manager you're going to expect is going to want to kind of kick from strength to strength once he leaves there. Probably take a, a nice high-profile pro- uh, club yeah. team. But, yeah, no, there there are names out there. It just seems like the ones that the Dutch FA want to bring in are the ones that want to stay in club football. And then the ones that want the Dutch <laughs> jobs aren't there yet. Right. And it, it's, just, it's just pretty frustrating. I, I honestly... This is just based off this one match. I'll, I'll wait to confirm this until I, I see the England match and how that goes. Um, I don't really have a problem with Danny Blint. If you keep in mind that we're still two full years away from the next major tournament. Like, we already had that failure. And not all of it was on him. A lot of that fell to Goose Hitting, who made very Klinsman-esque confusing squad choices. Um... So yeah. I, I'm, I'm not going to lay all the blame on all the blame, all the blame on Danny Blint, which is a surprisingly difficult tongue twister. Um, so I, I'd be willing to roll with with Danny Blint through qualifying for the World Cup, and assuming we make it, just be fine with that, and then decide if it's between him, Van Nistelrooy, or maybe by then, maybe Coleman has had a bad experience in club football and wants to take the job, or De Boer takes a big profile job and it kind of blows up. Um, but yeah, I, there are good Dutch managers. They just don't seem to be the ones that want the job at the moment. Well, I, I think also there, there's definitely going to be uh, quite a big managerial shakeup after the Euros, anyway. Yeah. So I think a lot of a lot of managers are waiting to see what way what way things fall. Just just finally, also uh, commiserations to you, obviously, and and all Dutch fans on on Johan Cruyff's passing. I I was lucky enough to see him one time. Uh, in 1977 when uh, Holland beat Northern Ireland in Belfast in a World Cup qualifier. And I went with my father and uh, he uh, 
he was outstanding. He played, uh, and we obviously we had George Best and Pat Jennings playing for us, and, uh, and Johan Cruyff just basically ran the show. So uh, anyway, uh, fond memories, fond memories. Oh, and also a, a friend and, and former colleague of mine, Simon Cooper, has written a couple of really good uh, appreciations, both in the Financial Times and at ESPN dot com uh, recently. So um, Simon's obviously a, uh, a great uh, voice on Dutch football. So check those out. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, he will definitely be missed, but his impact, as many people have pointed out, will continue to proliferate football on the whole. Um, Really touching words. And and you could tell everything that he meant to both the game and to people as individuals by the the level of people that were coming out to to wish well for all the Dutch fans, for his family, and and for the impact that he's had. All right, uh, so now switching from internationals into the Premier League, uh, we're going to be talking about the awards as we're heading into awards season. So we have Player of the Year, Young Player of the Year, Manager of the Year, and which players at your club do you think have a shot at making Team of the Year? We'll start off with Jim, who will probably have a nomination for each category from Leicester. Yeah, it's pretty difficult to narrow down, actually, on the Leicester side. Um, because we have so many you know, players who kind of fit the bill um it kind of it feels unfair a little bit to to narrow it down to one um regular listeners will obviously have heard me wax lyrical about nearly every single member of our squad this season um so you know i don't feel like i'm i'm doing a disservice to uh the people that i don't put up but in terms of like um player of the year i think it's got to be vardy um his his record-breaking achievement will stand you know Hopefully, the test of time. I can't. You know, it's going to be very difficult for someone else to break that record anytime soon. Uh, to score in eleven or twelve consecutive games, as it will need to be now. Um, you know, hopefully that will be something that even if he doesn't have a long um, England career due to, to to his age and whatever else, that you know he will will be part of that English football folklore for for some time to come. I think he's been, you know, transformation wise, as we've said kind of numerous times on the pod. It's it's absolutely incredible to think the transformation that he's had in the last four or five years, um, and where he's come from. And you know, it's not just a physical change. You know, he, he's a lot leaner now. Um, I saw an interview with the, the sports science guy at, at Leicester. Um, I think it was in the Times a few months ago, and he was saying that he carries like four percent body fat, which is just incredible. Like the guy is just is nothing but just lean muscle and just runs all day, which is. His his engine is is unbelievable. Um, obviously, his goal scoring has gone up a, a huge notch this year. 
but you know all credit to to the guys that have helped him get to that point um, behind the scenes as well. And then in terms of young player, you know, if if you it depends what age you're going up to, I guess, but kind of Mares is the obvious choice. Um, again, another player that I think is going to play at a much bigger level um, than Leicester necessarily um, in the next few years. I wouldn't be surprised if he if he does leave in the summer. Um, I think we'll get some big offers for him, whether or not they're big enough to tempt him away in terms of financial and also the fact that we have got Champions League football, you'd hope, next year. Maybe that will convince him to stay another season before he goes on to to play for, I think, one of the European superpowers. But he's, you know, again, his kind of development hasn't come out of the blue quite as much as Vardy's, I think, for a lot of people, because he did always have that flash of genius. Um, that people knew it's just turning that into a consistent basis and you know it's not just his goals but his assists this year um, and his partnership with Vardy you know the two of them even when we've had average games have kind of carried the team through and enabled us to be in the position that we're in now um, but yeah it, it's extremely difficult to narrow it down for Leicester this year sometimes there have been some seasons where we were kind of struggling to find one nominee for each category really um, but yeah you could you could put up in kind of most of the team in, in either one of those yeah, um, the official award uh, requires you to be in your age 23 season uh, for Young Player of the Year, which uh, I think Mara's is over, right? Yeah, yeah, he's 24, I think, now. So Yeah, yeah I just remember there have, been, there have been weird ones in the past, though. Yeah, like, I've seen, like, 24 like years. Like, Eden Hazard won Young Player of the Year when I thought he was too old. And there was... Wasn't there a year when... Uh, the Champions League year. Didn't Bale win Player of the Year and lose Young Player of the Year? Yeah. This but then I think he was also younger. <laughs> I, it, gets, it gets very confusing. And the Young Player of the Year, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll move on to uh, you, Dan. Who, who do you have up here? It must be very difficult. Um, for my Player of the Year, I think it's got to be Mares. Um 12 non-penalty goals and 11 assists. Uh, I think he's he's been Leicester's best player this year, in my opinion. Um, then I think I've got, I think it'd be Kane second, Ozil third, Vardy fourth, but um, that doesn't really matter. Young Player of the Year, I think the person who should win it in the spirit of the award is Deli Ali because it's mm. his actual first season in the Premier League. He's only nineteen, but for the actual um, qualifications, I think it's got to be Lukaku qualifies, right? Uh, yeah, yeah he's he definitely should. under 23. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then that's got to be Lukaku. Yeah, it's not a bad shout. And you know they love goal scorers to win yeah. that award. Uh, um, all right. like someone said, maybe Jack Butlin's like, he's a goalkeeper. Shut up. <laughs> also, I mean, we were talking about form a little bit earlier. There, there was a period of like December through January where we had an episode that was all about the amazing depth in British goalkeepers. And now many of them are hurt and out of form. <laughs> like, that's how quickly it turned around. We were talking about, can Hart hold on to the job? Forster hasn't conceded in six matches. Butlin's doing incredible things at Stoke. And now it's kind of all gone pear-shaped very quickly. Although, with Fraser Forster uh, getting his debut as a substitute in that match, that means 12 of the last 20 players that have gotten their b- debut have played under Pochettino. Which is a fun little stat for who I will say is potentially manager of the year later. Um, <laughs> Steve, who do you have for these awards? Well, I, I, I agree with Dan. I have to say that um, uh, the one indisputable one is Deli Alley. It has to be Young Player of the Year. I think um, the, his performances all season are 
superb and and there's so much more to come from him there's such potential in that guy uh obviously he's learning his trade he's you know still a little bit aggressive he, he picks up a little few too many yellow cards for my liking still but it's good to have that and good to sort of temper it with the the skill and the the vision that he has for the game which is remarkable so for him for for me uh young player of the year is delhi um player of the year I think it could also. It's also Mares. It has to be Mares. He's probably the most entertaining player uh, uh, that I've seen in consistently. You just honestly never know what he's going to do when he gets the ball. Vardy has had a fantastic season. Kante also has been has been remarkable. It could have been uh, really any one of those three uh, for me. For Spurs, um, player of the season uh, in our own club, I think would have to be Toby uh, Alderweireld. Yes. And uh, but also when you think about most improved player, and there's a Dembele? lot of them. There's a lot of them. Um, uh, Danny Rose has been has mm. been outstanding this season, and I uh, I have to hold my hands up. But you and I. Kev have talked about uh, Danny in the <laughs> Less past. Less favorably in the past. I know. I, well, it was the sense that you know when he went to Sunderland and he had that fantastic season up there. You know, there was a sense that maybe maybe that's his level. Maybe he found his level. But since he came back, he's just gone from strength to strength, and he's been he's been outstanding uh, really all this season. His defensive work is great. Is is going forward, and he runs all day. So um, so yeah, that's uh, that's where I see the the. Um, the players of the year. Oh, and uh, from Northern Ireland's perspective, <laughs> uh, Steve Davis has been outstanding. And, and mm. a shout out also to Aaron Hughes, who will probably win his 100th cap for Northern Ireland on Monday night. Yeah, uh, Steve Davis is the Southampton one. I presume that there aren't yes. multiple ones. Yeah. Uh, I have been very impressed that he has kept Jordi Classy on the bench almost all season. Yep. Um, I, I thought as soon as they signed Classy, I thought he would be a natural pair with one Yama. I was like, well, looks like Davis doesn't have a spot. Uh, untrue. <laughs> he's he's definitely been a huge impact for them as well. He, he reads the game really, really well, and he's a, he's a very good player to have in your uh, in your midfield. Mm. Yeah, no doubt. Um, for player of the year, see, we did this thing uh, where now I have to go last. <laughs> and, uh, a lot of the a lot of the options are taken. Marvez was where I was going to go. It's already taken. Um, if we're going to go surprising and just overall player of the year, Jamie Vardy has the same level of dynamicism and uh, diversity in his play style. It just ends in goals. One of the things that we, we heard about Harry Kane uh, from Brad Friedel before Harry Kane broke out was that in training, Harry Kane had the ability to finish in just about every way imaginable. And it seems that that is a, a trait we're also seeing in Jamie Vardy, who can also create, what is it, three in the last four assists? Jim, like he, he, yeah, his, he's, his, yeah, he's, he's quote-unquote stopped scoring, but Lester yeah. quote-unquote stopped scoring. Um, but he has obviously been a very key part of that creative force as well. I still think it's Mahrez, but there's my devil's advocate, which isn't very hard to make about the second leading scorer in the league. Dan, I liked your stat about non-penalty goals. That would drop Kane from his current lead at 21 down to 16. I don't know the stats on the other forwards, um, but that is an interesting uh, take on that. Vardy has... Four penalty goals, which would drop his total so from nineteen to fifteen. Uh, oh, no. Yeah, or no, Kane to be one Kane's of those. Up one, yeah. And let me look up Lukaku. <laughs> All right. While you're doing that, um, I agree. It should be Della Ali for Young Player of the Year. Lukaku is not a bad shout. Lukaku seems like the kind of player that would win it. 
right when it seemed so clear that maybe it should have been Ali. If it is Ali, Tottenham would have had the young player of the year four of the last five years. Which, he's the one that should win it in the spirit of the award. Yeah, because he's actually like yeah, he's he's actually a yeah. American word rookie, quote unquote. Yeah, he's a rookie he's, of the year for sure. Yeah. And then you have to wonder about Lukaku. He's already been up for he's two been, years. He's been playing for he forever. He has enough plate appearances yeah. to no longer. And he has uh, seventeen non-penalty goals, Lukaku. Oof. All right. Well, that that does kind of redistribute that if, if you're using that as your metric. Oh, right, because Barkley took them randomly for like three weeks. Yeah, that was weird. I don't. You know what? Roberto Martinez, I don't usually advocate this, but he really needs to lose his job. He, he just does. He what, really does. What he's done with the talent that he has is, you know what? Frippo. That is my underperformer of the season, is Roberto <laughs> Martinez. That team is so good. We heard about how John Stones, you can't sell him for $40 million. He's the next great English center back. Have you watched Everton games? Their defense is so leaky, and part of it is that he's out of position all the time trying to do random ball flicks. He's just a tall Vlad Kirakesh. There I said it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to very quickly backtrack from that. That was insanity. Um, he is a very talented young player, but Martinez has just done so little to develop them. Barkley shows a willingness to pass, but it seems like he's being instructed to just drive past as many people as he can and then dribble into the nearest defender. Uh, Aaron, the weird positive is that Aaron Lennon's playing football again and scoring yeah. goals for the first time ever. <sighs> it's so strange what's going on at Everton. My my favorite rumor, and you know we talk about how we hate rumors and then we always bring up rumors. Just deal with it. It's a staple of this show. Um, but my favorite thing is Bielsa being linked to Everton. I think that, oh, would, that would be, be so great. incredibly fun. So now you're adding... Bielsa in, we already have Pochettino, we have Ranieri, who is doing incredibly well, but is not particularly known for his sanity. Maybe Mourinho versus Pep in Manchester, Klopp versus Bielsa in we Liverpool. May as well bring in Sampoli while we're at it. Oh, that'd be so great. That's that's like my secret. That's what I want to happen so strongly. Um, but anyway, yeah, Roberto Martinez for my anti-manager of the season. Um, for managers, Jim, I assume that you, you'd be sticking with Ranieri there? Yeah, I think it's it's unfortunate for Poch the year that Tottenham, you know, do so well. Assuming Leicester do go on and win the league, I think you've got to give it to Ranieri purely because of well, the... Well, it won't matter because the, the awards are given before that. Oh, yeah, yeah, of so, course, yeah. yeah. So it, yeah. Uh, on that, on that, that is really well, I think Deli Ali will will definitely win Young Player of the Year. I know I kind of mentioned Morris, who's not even eligible, so that's a rookie error on my part. But Deli Ali, I think, will has got that in the bag. Not only because he has been unbelievable, and obviously everyone's already said the great things about him, but also he's coming good at exactly the right time in an England shirt. Depend mm. um, to kind of get the votes for the people who are actually putting some influence into this. So obviously it's voted for by the press and the captains of the the teams. Um, so you know the English journalists love fawning over a, a young talent, as we know already. Um, we've talked about that at the start of the show. So I think he's he's a lock for that. But yeah, Ranieri has been unbelievable. I think, you know, it's it's you can't overstate how much he has kind of instilled this belief in the team that they can actually go out and do anything. It's, it's kind of building on the Nigel Pearson kind of factor, but that was more kind of a siege mentality of everyone's writing us off and go out there and prove them wrong. Whereas Ranieri seems to just be a bit more of a calm head. He, 
he gets people to you know go out and play their natural game but without feeling the pressure of um you know expectation almost um you've got you know a team that were destined to well that, that were 5000 to 1 to win the, the the title at the beginning of the season now five points clear going into you know after the last international break of the the campaign so he deserves a lot of credit, um, Pearson, for, for the foundations that he put in place. But I think Ranieri has just brought that team onto another level and I, I can't see past him, really. Um, you can make, obviously, salient cases for people like Poch. Um, Billich, but, maybe? Yeah, Billich. Well, this is another thing. Like, If West Ham were to sneak into the top four on en- in any other kind of normal quote-unquote season, um, that would probably be enough to win Billich manager of the season were you know Leicester not at the top of the league and, and Spurs kind of pushing them all the way for the title um, or, or as as it is now when it's being voted on. Um, so, yeah, you know, <laughs> you've got a whole host of candidates to choose from when in any other year you would probably have three kind of standout winners. And even Kiki Flores, I mean, what he's done with Watford. Yeah, they, they have never been close to the relegation zone all season. Yeah, Watford have been have been very impressive. Also, they got Caputo play football, which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> and be good at it. Yeah, be very good at it. I yeah. think Jim's absolutely right in terms of uh, it, it, you can't see past Ranieri really for manager of the year. It's been a remarkable, remarkable season, uh, especially considering where they were last season. It's just it's just been unbelievable. I think I think Poch's time will come. Uh, he he has a team there that has the potential to go on and do even greater things than we've done this season. I think if anybody had said at the start of the season that we were in line to finish second, um, you know, I wouldn't have. Uh, I wouldn't have believed you. you uh, or hesitated to take it. <laughs> like, but like everybody's saying we should be looking at the title, but if anybody had said, right now, would you take second place? Like, absolutely. I might still do it right now. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know. I st- there's, still, there's still too many games to go. I mean, it's Leicester's to lose, but I think there's still too many games to go. But, uh, Kev, you mentioned Martinez as your underperformer of the year. I have to say... Uh, uh, my vote in that category goes to the the board at Manchester City, who basically uh, yeah. told their their team that their season was over uh, halfway through, and so three quarters of them are basically thinking, you know, where am I going to be playing next season? So um, I think that's uh, and and I feel for Pellegrini as well because uh, yeah, it was a difficult position to, for anybody to be put in. So. Yeah, so uh, underperforming board of the year, Manchester City. <laughs> underperforming manager, Martinez. Uh, all right, uh, Dan, who do you have for, for manager of the year? Is it just going to be a clean sweep on Ranieri? Well, Ranieri should win it. Ranieri will win it. Poch should and will finish second. But outside of those, I'm just going to pick a random person who Wenger. isn't going if to win it. two games in a row, decent. if Twitter's anything to base it off of. <laughs> I'm not going to comment. Um, <laughs> 1996, not 1886. But um, no, just random person who has done a very good job won't win it. But I don't want to go all Ranieri because it should be boring. Um, would be um, Eddie Howe from Bournemouth, considering yeah. the lack of talent in that squad. They've had as well. All the injuries they've had and the fact that they are not even close to the relegation zone at the moment. They are what? Um, they're like 11 points off. Yeah, it's something 12. crazy now. Yeah, no, they're well clear of relegation zone. Considering all three of their big sign or two of their big signings and best player going into the season got injured within the first month. By the way, Callum Wilson still their leading scorer this year on five. 
That's just ridiculous. <laughs> I'm really glad they're going to be staying up. I have a lot of time for Eddie Howe and Bournemouth. Mm. And it just shows you how many incredibly wonderful stories there are in the league this year. You could look at every team and, and just say, you know, <laughs> what a season these guys have had. So, uh, no, I actually, I was at White Hart Lane last weekend. We played Bournemouth and... Uh, uh, their their fans were their fans were singing at us. Uh, Leicester City, they're better than you. To which we responded, Bristol City, they're better than you. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm pleased for Bournemouth. Glad they're staying up. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a, that's a great shout, Dan and Steve. You're right. There are so many of these like interest stories that get lost kind of in the title chase, and that's one of the reasons we do this podcast. Is a lot of people always talking about the top clubs, which is hilarious for me to mention right now, as all four of us support clubs in the top four. But <laughs> we are mentioning the other ones, and obviously listeners of this show know that we often have uh, people on from all clubs that we can get Plus, into like contact Leicester with. City and Spurs, who would have expected them to be in the top four at the beginning of the season? Yeah. So, Ar- Arguably not Tottenham or Leicester fans. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> uh, I don't think I knew any... Um, non-delusional Tottenham fan, but thought they no, that was adamant they get top four. Yeah, my, so. my my argument again was four to six, four to seven, like anywhere in there. Four would have been the dream. Seven would have been like, okay, we're in a building year. We have a lot of young players. We didn't strengthen the midfield, except we did because we just randomly decided to turn Eric Dyer into Scott Parker 2.0, But that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> um, yeah, manager of the year should probably go to Ranieri, but it's really frustrating. I was talking with these guys before we started recording that when I was doing my notes, I wrote almost verbatim something, so I'm just going to do it verbatim, but player of the year, Mares, maybe Kane is a close second, which is annoyingly similar to how our teams are positioned at the moment. Young player of the year, Ali, still. Manager of the year, Renieri with Pacha close second, which is annoyingly similar to how teams are positioned in the league at the moment. It's just so irritating. And, like, we've joked before with Jim on air, just, could you just stop? Just slow down, if you wouldn't mind. And, Steve, I know you're saying it's it's Leicester to lose and there's a lot of games left, but they have to double their loss total for us to yeah. catch them yeah. in, in the remaining seven matches. Yeah. And, and those last three matches we've talked before, they look tough. Everton, United, and Chelsea – Maybe in that order? In some order, it's those uh, It's United, Everton, Chelsea, Everton, I think. Chelsea, mm, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but if you look at how those teams are actually playing, I mean, Chelsea have improved under hitting. Louis van Gaal has Manchester United playing at least as well as Manchester City. Uh, it's up to you if you want to take that as a compliment or not. And um, Everton are straight crap. <laughs> and Everton literally cannot defend. Um, that, that match against West Ham was so indicative of their season. All attack at the beginning make the wrong substitution, ship three goals at the end. Like, that's like what this team is built to do under Martinez. Uh, and, and all credit to Scott McKay, who doesn't come on anymore uh, due to extraneous reasons. But he told us, because that first year Martinez had at Everton, they actually had a pretty decent defense. And Scott's argument was, it's just because Martinez hasn't been long enough there to make them crap. <laughs> And that has really, really come come to fruition. He was riding the defensive coattails uh, that were left there by Moyes. And then the more time he has with them, the worse they get. Uh, so anyway, reestablishing Martinez for uh, worst manager. But uh, And I don't even think he's a bad manager. It's just there's just this glaring weakness. And there's a worrying uh, ability to compare his time at Everton with his time at Wigan which I don't think any Everton fan would have been hoping. 
Um, but anyway, that, that'll especially do after the first season. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, they they thought that was going to go much better. And th- the fun thing is, he's actually a really good pundit, kind of like Gary Neville. I really enjoy hearing his take on the game and everything. But for some reason, he just cannot get that ever team going. Um, also, Ross Barkley is one of the most frustrating players. Not to take this to like a fantasy angle, but it, it applies to for real life football as well. He, he is in, passing the football. He does, and he's involved in a staggeringly low number of their goals. For a player that you would think is the one creating through the midfield, he kind of doesn't. It's a very strange situation. Still rate him as a player. You saw his impact in the England-Germany match. As soon as he and Vardy came on, the tide of that match changed, but I don't know. So Anyway... <laughs> Anybody for Everton. Trump for Everton. That's, that's what I'm going with. Oh, God. <laughs> hey, man, he wouldn't be here. Let it slide. Okay. so oh, That's a good um, point, actually. I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want him. You keep him. <laughs> you keep him. <laughs> it's like him. the Pierce Morgan argument, but reverse. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> no, I'd do that trade. I'd do Trump for Pierce Morgan. Pierce Morgan isn't running trade. for president. Pierce Morgan is running for president. <laughs> what about yeah. you guys? You do that? Oh. Do we need to throw something in? Let's fire them both into space and just be done with it. <laughs> that works. Yeah. Well, okay, how about we give you Trump and an NFL franchise? <laughs> um, okay, anyway, uh, so on to discussing team of the year stuff. I'll lead off. We're going to keep this a little short. We're, we're quickly uh, running out of time. But for me, Spurs players that should be in team of the year. Kane, oh, I think it's inarguable, but it is hard to get all of the, the, all of the forwards in there. Vardy obviously deserves a spot. I think Kane deserves a spot, and Lukaku deserves a spot. I don't know what formation they're going to run. It could be like those team of the weeks that you see, where yeah, you forwards mean, are what, playing what like defensive midfield. Yeah. Striker yeah. oh, oh, at wing back. Yeah. He plays two, two, five, three every week. And the defenders <laughs> are forwards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it makes very little sense. But I would assuming... pay so much money for him to get a managerial, managerial job. So Garth Crooks for Everton. Okay. Um, <laughs> So, uh, Kane, Ali, and Toby, which Steve, I thought was a very inspired shout. Um, I think all deserve credit. By the way, Toby Alderweireld walked into Tottenham and day one became our best defender, which I'm not sure people expected. Jan Vertonghen has been riding on his own name for... He's he's been better this season. He has. But, But the last two years were iffy like when he was pushing for the barcelona move yeah Yeah. and it showed in his play he didn't want to be there and because of that he didn't play well enough to get that move and then they went and got vermalin anyway which i'm sure hurt him a little bit in his soul that that's the move that was made i do i do think bertongan's had a much better year but you have to look at what vimmer's done in the same setup i i was just gonna say i think it's a it's a measure of how good Toby is that Vimmer can come in and seamlessly basically come into that, to yeah. that uh, center of, of defense. And, and Toby, I think for me has been just outstanding this season, uh, yeah. both. And he pops up with the odd important goal as well. So, um, and he's taken over near post for all of our set pieces, yep. mm-hmm. which is awesome because it means Eric Dyer is somewhere in the middle and Kane's at the back post. So, uh, <laughs> It's it's why we're actually scoring set piece goals, which Steve, you know, we used to have that roulette at New York Spurs, where you you have a list of people, and if we score a set piece goal, that person has to buy a round. Um, 
which I would not want to play this year. So <laughs> that's that's worked out quite well. We still can't defend them, but we can score them, and that's important. Um, it's the right direction. Yeah, yeah it re- really is. Uh, soft shouts uh, for me for Dyer and Dembele, who has improved tremendously. Do you remember that first year that we had with Dembele, the first half of that year before he got his hip injury? Mm-hmm. He, it was this. It just took a, yeah. a year and a half, two years for him to get back to it. But he is so important to us because it's so difficult for an opposing midfield to figure out who's going to pull up when he's going to hold on to the ball and distribute it, and then who's going to drop off when he starts charging you with the ball, which if he decides to put his head down, there are very few players in the league that are going to just outright dispossess him. Conte right. might be one of them. Um, but yeah, it's he's, he's a very big matchup changer. Especially because, Steve, actually, I'd be interested to get your take on this. I've been talking on and off this year about how I think Tottenham play a secret 4-3-3, and just nobody kind of notices that <laughs> Dyer is the one that's sitting back. Yeah. And then yeah. we have Dembele in transition, Ali mostly up front. It's it's like that offset 4-3-3 that we were always told ABB was going to play and never did. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just where you have like that inverted sideways triangle. Anyway, it's I'm not going to get into the weird tactics and how we use the iron Bella. Kev. But yeah. um, but anyway, it's it's very exciting, and I love what Dyer has done. There was an article in Zebra Notes because I got that Scotty Parker kit, and everybody was looking at me like I was crazy. But there was an article that I read about. Obviously, I like statistics, and it was saying that statistically, Scotty Parker was the best player in his one role in the Premier League. So he was better at being a holding midfielder than Aguero was at being a forward at that point in time. And anyway, I joked about it earlier, but I see a lot of similarity there with Eric Dyer because he stopped trying to venture out. Early in the season, he was bombing forward. He was pinging crosses all over the place, sometimes inaccurately, although he, he does have it in his locker. But he has really molded into this I will stand here and be a rock and very few things will get past me and I'll pass it to Dembele to run forward or Ali who's already forward and then he's limited to that and so there are very few mistakes that he makes anyway Dyer and Dembele soft shouts for me any arguments there Steve from the Tottenham side no 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 I think you covered the bases there I think uh, Dyer I, I, I can't wait to see what he does next season I think he's been a remarkable player for us. And uh, also just, you know, a quick shout maybe for Eric Lamella in terms of uh, improvement on last season. Uh, obviously, Potch has been working with him very closely, but uh, he's still a little bit inconsistent, gives away too many free kicks. But uh, I think what we're seeing out of Lamella is a, a glimpse of uh, what made him our most expensive player. Yeah, hopefully he will come good on that. Jim, uh, I hope you have your litany ready for the Leicester players that could be a team of the year. Is he just going to read off the 11? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, but seriously, though. <laughs> it's, yeah. Um, I don't know how you're going to fit them all in. I think it's essentially going to be a Leicester and Tottenham hybrid. Um, With Otzel, from- I'll give Otzel a spot. Yeah. Um, oi, da- oi, oi, oi. <laughs> <laughs> um, then maybe David De Gea in goal and then a Leicester-Tottenham kind of hybrid team. Mm. Um, maybe Get your ultimate way. teams out, guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, just, I would say, it's difficult because I, I think there are players in our team that are kind of deserving but won't necessarily get a look in because of higher profile players from, from other teams. So, you know, you could you could make a, a salient argument for, for one of the centre-backs or both of the centre-backs being in the team of the year, given how rock-solid we've been 
in the last kind of four or five months and the transition from a team that used to concede two every game to a team with the most clean sheets, you know, in 2016. Um, but again, you, you're up against people like Alderfield there um, who are probably going to get the nod because he, he is an exceptional player, um, you know, and stands alone as part of that. And you, you only have to look at what, what Tottenham have done um, to see that. I would um, definitely say Kante is in the running somewhere. How you fit him in alongside the likes of Barkley, Ali, Dembele even, um, and, and all the midfielders that, and Payet. I mean, Ooh, where's he going to feature Payet has to be in it somehow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're running like, like an 8-7-9. As, uh, as, as a winger yeah. like he plays for France. Yeah, it's just Because he can't play over Ozil and I will fight that to the death. <laughs> we know. Um, <laughs> So, you know, he, he's going to have to fit in somewhere. Kante should be in there. I think Drinkwater should be in there from a Leicester point of view. But again, how you fit him in alongside all the other really impressive kind of holding midfielders um, we've seen uh, this year is, is, is not a, an enviable job, to be honest. Um, I don't see Lukaku getting in, even if he does finish kind of top of the goal scoring charts. I think the fact that Everton haven't necessarily done that much, you could almost say he's good in spite of Everton. Um, and their leaky defence, but I can see them just going Kane and Vardy, to be honest, to keep that argument relatively simple and straightforward. And then it frees up a lot more kind of midfield spots. If you start playing three strikers, then you're running into all kinds of issues with who you play in midfield. Mm. Um, Vardy, again, should get in. Mares, I think, will, will definitely be there. Vardy, again, as well. Um, I, I mean, I would say Schmeichel has an outside shot of being one of the better goalkeepers this year, but I can't see him getting in over someone like De Gea, who's probably single-handedly kept United in yeah. with even a, a possibility of a top-four finish. Without Thank goodness him. for that fax machine, unquote. <laughs> well, the thing yeah. is, if, if he had been in Madrid, sunning it up, United probably would finish about tenth this year, mm. and we'd be they talking about flopped, oh, they, they would have flipped Keylor Navas because that was part of the deal. Yeah, that's true, and he is a very, very good goalkeeper. I just think I think De Gea is just another level. He really I think is, he's, yeah. he's absolutely superb, and you know. Dan was saying earlier, you see him pull off saves every week where you look at it and think, how how did he save that? It's his the amount of just incredible saves he pulls out as if they're routine is unbelievable. Um so I think he, he, he might will get the nod. Sorry. I was I was just gonna say, uh Jim, it would be really interesting to do an analysis of how many points uh De Gea and Petter Cech have, have won for their respective teams this season. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it doesn't help that Czech's out um, injured yeah. for a bit towards the end of the campaign. Yeah. I suppose well, in the he's, to come, the he's coming back after the international break, but yeah, um, obviously, Butland as well deserves a shout. He is more than likely out of the Euros now, which is a massive shame. But he has been, you know, one of the star performers in that Stoke team, uh, which, given you know that they have transformed themselves from a Tony Pulis Stoke team into a kind of more free flowing. So who's, who's third up team. now? Assuming that Hart's fit in time, Tom Heaton, Hart Foster, and yeah, Burnley, right? Yeah, Burnley. Yeah. I think I think Heaton will probably get the nod. He he's he was the one called up into the squad when Joe Hart got injured in the run up to the international break to kind of fit in as third, which bumped Butland up to one, Forster to two. So I think we'll probably take Heaton um, to the Euros. But yeah, Butland's been outstanding this year, and you know. I know that he turned down that move to Chelsea um, a couple of years ago when he had the opportunity to move. And all credit to him because I think his career has progressed significantly quicker than if he was sitting on the bench at Chelsea 
and yeah. kind of playing that Asmir Begovic role where he kind of got a few months in goal where when Courtois was injured earlier this season. But for him to take a spot, you know, and, and make that position his own at Stoke and, and excel, he deserves a lot of credit for, for how successful Stoke have been this year. No um, doubt. I feel like a lot of people are like legacy thinking that Stoke's defence is what it has been in years past, like it was under Pulis. And a large part of it isn't that the things are being prevented from getting to him, um, but that, yeah, Butland has been terrific on his own. I still like Volscheid. I'm not saying the defense is bad, but if you look at the goals that they've conceded... Some of them are pretty bad. Yeah, and they aren't necessarily Butland's fault. You see the game, or I like the one Stoke game that didn't involve Arsenal I've watched all year was Stoke against Everton, and it was over by halftime, and they were so bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah if you I, I don't at, know what they're doing. They need to pick right up a forward and roll with it. The the fact that they just have that rotating door of Jozalu and uh, who else are they? Bojan was up there. Diouf was yeah. up there. Jonathan Walters was up there for a few yeah. matches. They need a striker and a defense, and then they'll be good. The thing is, I think they have three. They just need to play one of them consistently. Also, Crouch is still there, but we're going to gloss <laughs> over that. Um, <laughs> On the Butland thing, just quickly, if you yeah. look at the the most saves this year I've just pulled the Opta stats now hmm. he's he's on 103 saves this year and that's 11 more than Fabianski who's second wow. Gomez in third on 91 Man, and then Fabianski you've got Adrian and Petacek on 89 and Kasper Schmeichel on 82 yeah. so it just kind of shows that he he's done exceptionally well kind of very active <laughs> you've got you know the keepers that we've talked about aren't even featuring in the top five of saves hmm. made and yet we're talking about how impressive he's actually been in in keeping the, the goals out for Stoke. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Dan, are you going to make an argument for somebody not named Otsal? Uh I was going to say Czech. Interesting. And maybe and Monreal as well. Um, they're not quite as adamant arguments because Ozil, I will fight you to the death. Um, <laughs> he's had he has the most assists, most chances created, the most expected assists. By the way, his most having, chances created are above Ericsson, and it's like thirty. It's something. like thirty or forty chances yeah. difference. It's not close. Uh, he's having one of the best creative seasons we've ever seen. Like genuinely, statistically, it's insanity. But um, yeah, so he's in there, and I will fight you. Um, for Czech, I think he's been very good. Yeah, I, I get the shout of De Gea, and that's fine. Um, but I think Czech's also been very, very good. That, that's basically it. Monreal, I can't think of another standout left back other than him and Danny Rose. Hmm. And, and Danny Rose has been rotated. Yeah, that's with, the thing. With, without a hesitation, played a with significant him amount of games. Nacho has played outside of the derby, which made no sense at all. That I. <laughs> that didn't make any sense. I think yeah. Anger was bantering off the entire fan base. But, um, yeah, uh, he's been very, very, very good. Probably our be- absolutely our best defender this season. Um, also pretty good going forward. I think he's a very good player, and I think he's had a very good season. And like I said, there aren't that many standouts this year of Aspilicueta having a down season. Rose being rotated. Uh, Leicester have changed their fullbacks like halfway through the season. Um, I know Fuchs hasn't played all season. Um, who else is good? Yeah, no, the United don't even have a left back. Mm. Um, City have Gail Clichy and Kolarov, who are just not good. Um, I can't really think of any good left backs, that many good left backs, to yeah, be honest. Baines hasn't been, been up to it this year. Been... Maybe, maybe uh, Aspilicueta, but I think Chelsea well, has been, been, been too been, poor. He hasn't been, like, yeah, and he's, he hasn't he's been, been anywhere near the worst of the Chelsea players, but yeah. he's still been below his, his um, standard. All right, I'll allow it. Let it be written. All right. Well, we are super out of time. We were supposed to do match previews. So, in a word, Jim, will England beat the Netherlands? Yes. No, they won't. Steve, <laughs> are Northern Ireland going to beat Slovenia? Yes. All right. Dan, 
USA Guatemala, the rematch. I hope so. That's not one word, but... Not promising. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say draw, and that's going to be... That's th- that would be like the most anticlimactic end to Jurgen Klinsmann's reign if the wow. U.S. lost this match and started to look mathematically improbable to qualify for the next World Cup. Yeah, like this isn't a big tournament loss. This would be the quietest match that nobody watched, and then be like, "Where'd Klinsmann go?" <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I agree. It's not going to be good. All right. Uh, well, we are super out of time. But if you'd like to tell people where to reach you or any projects you're working on, now be a good time. Thanks for listening, guys. I've been Jim. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Jim Knight eighty eight. I'm the gaming content manager for Perform, so that encompasses sites like Opta and Goal.com as well. So if you want to kind of head over there for betting related um, stuff, that's normally got my stamp on it as well. Uh, yeah, I'm Dan. Thanks for having me on. You can still catch me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. Uh, thanks very much for having me on, Kevin. Uh, I'm Steve McGookin. You can get me on Twitter at Steve McGookin, or you can follow the discussion at nyspurs.com. Thank you. Yeah, and I am your host, Kevin DeVries, at Kevroff on Twitter. Last week was a slow one for me as we didn't have any fantasy uh, stuff to do, but let's see if we can do this in order. All right, uh, so this is obviously going up Monday. Then I do All in Sports Talk on Tuesday, uh, player updates on playtalk.com throughout the week. Fantasy show up Thursday. Fantasy article on TheEaglesBeak.com is up Friday, uh, which will also be when the next EPL roundtable is out. I'm sure I somehow forgot something. But uh, if you're interested in fantasy or Premier League on the whole, feel free to check those out. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening.